0: live on the Mixed Radio Network, you're listening to Casey Ryan on the Cutting Room Floor. Casey, the floor
1: is yours. All right, how you doing everybody? Casey Ryan here again for another episode of the Cutting Room Floor, a little podcast that I started to showcase indie entertainers and creative types from uh, all walks. I like to say uh, if you've got a story to tell or a project to sell, then I want to hear from you. Uh, Easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. You can ask anybody that knows me. I'm on there all the time, at CuttingRoomMRB, or you can like me on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash CuttingRoomMRB. If you want to be on the show, if you want me to give you a shout-out, let me know what you're thinking about, and I'm happy to accommodate uh, as much as I can. A uh, quick little thank you, as we do at the top of the show, uh, to The Wolf, who acts as my announcer. You can uh, listen to him and his dear wife, Susan, right here on the Mixed Radio Network every Friday night from 8 o'clock until midnight on the Life from the Morgue show. Um, and to Michael Cardillo, who wrote that little jingle for me, and that's a, uh, a nice little opener to the show as well. Uh, so to get started, i got a really uh, packed agenda for you here. Uh, as a nameless friend of mine would say, I've got four guests on the show in, in the two halves, so this is going to be a busy one uh on the first half uh, I'm proud to say I've got somebody back who's been on the show a few times before uh part of my repeat offenders club and this is uh, a term I use in high respect because it's people that have um, been gracious enough to donate their time to me to, to be interviewed more than once uh but Michael beckermeyer is here who's a filmmaker and a screenwriter and an actor out of the Orlando area and he's brought with him his production partner Bradley Kingston uh... who's also a screenwriter and a producer and an actor and a m- number of other things who uh... has been working wa- the two of them have been working together uh... in a number of different capacities uh... sounds like a, a couple of friends of mine actually over the course of the last twenty years uh... uh... and the best thing i can say about michael and i have had him on here before is uh... you know he's got a lot of short films under his belt but they have a lot of what i call meat on the bone in, in terms of the, the subject matter they're they're very uh, artistically done and and deceptively simple and in, in terms of the uh, the emotional impact that they can have. If you watch one of the Michael Myers films, they always packed a good, solid punch. Uh, so no pressure, Michael. So, uh, uh, Thanks. Uh, and uh, in addition to the fact that they've been working together over the last 28 years, uh, to, together, and I, I found this hard to believe in all the times I've, I've had Michael on here, but this is the first feature that he's worked on. And Michael, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but this is your first feature, right? Yes, yeah and yes so, so uh, this, the,
2: this is the first one we've completed. We started we we did one um which was sort of a learn what not to do project, maybe back in the early 2000s, and it took us a while to recover. <laughs> certainly not yeah, actually. we
3: broke up for a while. Who
2: broke up for a while? He, yeah,
3: he made me do slate and replaced me. I was doing audio, and next thing I knew you had a new audio guy, and I was doing slate. And I did it so bitterly and angrily that he fired me and we didn't talk for like two years after.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, this is what happens when you get old friends on this show. And I, I you know, I, I, I love it. I was, I've been looking forward to this all week. So uh, in addition to which, I, you can tell by the report that, that, uh, and this is a show that I, I desperately want to be a part of. I haven't done many interviews lately, but it, um, I'm going to ask them about Film Reverie, which is a, a podcast that the two of them co host uh, yeah. So, from the great city of Orlando, uh, the Cunningham floor welcomes back Michael Beckemeyer and, for the first time, Bradley Kingston. Uh, guys, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. Okay.
2: We're doing good. I'm sitting next to Brad right now, so I could be better. You
1: could be better, right? Okay. Yeah, I could be better. Nice to know that both of you harbor no, no bitterness. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I, I understand my role. I, it's too annoying. <laughs> he does
1: it so well. I, I can tell already that I'm going to have fun uh so okay on the subject of uh (laughs) on the subject of no bitterness how about really pathetic and totally awkward that's our relationship how's how's that for irony i i you you can't put a price on this i i when you get a lead-in like that i fuck it man (laughs) we um well
2: brad had Brad had moved away to Texas for a couple of years and he, he was just moving back into Orlando and I had sort of this like need. I had not directed anything in a while and I'd had a couple of projects start and stop and, you know, fall apart a couple of times. And I was really frustrated. So I think he was maybe even still in the car driving here from Texas. And I said, when you get here <laughs> on Saturday, come to my house and we will start a podcast and we'll start working on a movie. And he did. And we did. (laughs) And Film Reverie has been, Film Reverie is our podcast that where we basically do kind of like what you do, just interview people about, and it's very specific filmmakers and creative people with um, projects. And we started working on our feature film, which we ended up calling really pathetic and totally awkward, which was something that was a lot different than um, anything that I had put together to make before, um, a lot of my short films were a little more, I guess you could say, bleak and dramatic. And I wanted to, I wanted to make something that um, was not me. Well, I, I felt like I was taking myself really seriously a lot, and I wanted to sort of make something that was a little more accessible to an audience. It started out as a comedy, which I think it ended up more like a drama comedy, I would say. Well
1: Yeah. Uh, okay, well, uh, you know, Bradley, I'll throw the, this question to, to you. So I, I understand that you're uh, essentially the, the lead screenwriter on this. Is that right? What?
3: Well, kind of. Uh, excuse me. No. <laughs> no? If, if you ask Mike, I, okay. I came in and screwed it up here and there.
1: <laughs> no,
2: we, we really did. It was a partnership. I was okay, all part right. Of- uh, I would sit in front of the computer a lot and do the actual writing of the thing, but I mean, every page, every word, every line was basically um, gone back and forth over between me and Brad. So it was it was a, it was really a co-writing. very very,
1: very yeah. much a collaborative thing. Okay, all right. Yeah. Now, now, when I was watching this, and I, I did watch it twice—once yesterday and once this morning. Oh, uh, twice. I, uh, well, that's my thing, all right? You want to know my routine? And the, the first time I watch something, if somebody sends it to me, I force myself not to have anything I can write with within reach, and I watch the whole thing from start to finish. The second time is for taking notes. Nice. So, cool. So, uh, I kind of had, you know, you, you've got kind of a, a dry kind of coming-of-age comedy here that, that to me, one of the the, the movies that, that, when I try to draw these analogies is... Uh, you know i had kind of a flavor of reality bites if you guys have seen that one from uh, the old ben stiller and um... oh
2: reality bites yeah, yeah that's one of my favorite movies from the from the from the 90s yeah, uh, i i now I, you just remind me i need to rewatch that movie yeah
3: you know we discussed reality bites as we were yeah. writing this yeah. so we kind of channeled that movie while we were yeah. writing
1: Yeah, you've kind of, you know, got a, uh, you know, a set of, you know, admittedly perfectly imperfect characters that that are, you know, kind of coming to terms with where they are in life, and, you know, certain, you know, major changes are not changes for a lack of, you know, in lifestyle, and, and, uh, you know, I I kind of kept going back to that. They were roughly the same age, too, from what I remember.
2: Yeah. I think so, yeah. Well, our guys are almost turning 30, and Reality Bites people were graduating college, so... 20-something, mid-20s. Yeah, but it's kind of the same thing where you reach that certain point in your life where suddenly uh, you maybe had to pay your own bills for a little while and you realize that if you let it, all those things you wanted to do definitely aren't the priority anymore because you're so busy paying for your car, cell phone, uh, the cable bill, all that stuff. And then you, like, 2 o'clock in the morning, you're sitting there and thinking – what happened to my dreams?
3: And why am I calling a phone sex
2: line? <laughs> that was Brad who said yeah, that. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know, I mean, you know, one guy, you know, at least on the surface, you know, has his, you know, heads, you know, in terms of his day-to-day priorities a little bit more straight, but, but, you know, I mean, he's a bit, you know, more socially outcast And the other guy is, looks like he's having a lot of fun, but it really is kind of a superficial existence when you think about it, right? Yeah, yeah. So how did you go about casting this?
2: Um, okay, so the cast you are looking at um, when you see the movie really pathetic and so awkward is at least the uh, third variation of, of, of cast. Because we cast it a couple of times, and the way we made our movie was really... I mean, we it was 115 pages, and we shot it in nine days over mm-hmm. the summer. And that... Is is a lot of shooting to do, especially on such a really dialogue-heavy movie. Um, So the schedule had to be pretty specific and quick. And we just had a few people that we cast a couple of times that schedules just didn't ended up not working out. Like certain parts of the movie would be production would be ready to go, Um, and then the other, like somebody suddenly got a job they had to go take, and that threw everything off. And then we had to reboot and start everything all over again. Um, But we we cast our film through a local acting studio studio in town. Marco DeGeorge is is his name. And the name of the studio is Truthful Acting Studios. And he basically was the first person who said, I think your script is great. Let me help you. And he basically was the first hero of our production um, who was not. You know me, Brad never was really a hero of the production. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> but no, Marco was the first outside person that we actually sent our script to who supported us and helped us out. And just like really honestly worked a couple of miracles out for us.
3: Yeah, and uh, one of the main um, stars, uh, Alethea, who played Alathia. Eleanor, yeah. um, we actually went to a production at Truthful Acting and saw her perform. And we knew we wanted her in the movie.
2: Yeah. So all the, and three of the actors from three of the actor three of the four main characters in our film are from that acting studio from very, from different times. And the other, the other one, her name is Caitlin Baxter. She's just a friend of mine that I met because I, I teach high school TV production. It's my day job. She is the theater teacher at the school that I work at and she is a professional actor, dancer, um, and on, at this point, one of my best friends and uh, sh- we were just happy to be able to work together on something finally that wasn't like screaming at teenagers. <laughs>
1: well, and, and I was I was going to highlight that you know you had two really strong female leads in there that I, I noticed they, they both turned in really really they they were all good but but the uh, you know the two women I thought were in particular stood out so.
2: Yeah, thank you. They uh, they were both great to work with. Yeah.
3: We purposefully wanted strong female uh, leads. Um, if we were even worried that um, maybe they weren't strong enough, but we're hearing from people who have seen it that maybe in some cases they were too strong and the yeah. men weren't strong enough. Yeah. Well, no, I, I I
1: thought it was. If anything, it was a good balance because you've got this, uh, you know, this tug of war going back and forth between the two brothers, and then you got the uh, Eleanor who's kind of caught in the middle, and then, you know, Caitlin's character, who, for lack of a better word, acts as a bit of a grounding force for all four of them, right?
2: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that um, I personally um, like strong female characters in in a script. It's, um, I don't, I don't. I, we tried really hard to not make it one of those uh, things where the girls were just like, you know, props for the for the guys to figure out their lives and all this stuff. And then there, there are these girls that are conveniently placed into my storyline that are going to be here for me by the end of the movie. Um, I like the fact that um, one of them will tell somebody to go fuck themselves if uh, if if it feels like that's what needs to happen instead of being so... Pushy and polite, and the guys are actually kind of the whiny ones.
1: Well, in yeah, our... to a certain extent. That that uh, I mean, there wasn't a single one of the characters I thought that that, and including the two cameos that you guys made yourselves, right? That, that I'll touch on them in <laughs> a minute. Well, yeah. You, I caught it. It's fair game. Okay, so yeah, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, but, but, that... but there, there there wasn't anybody that I thought was you know kind of background noise. That there, you know, every every you know shot in there had a purpose.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And that was a lot of times because uh, we only had time to shoot the one shot, so we better make (laughs) it count. Um, There were some days where we were trying to shoot so much in one day that it was literally, in editing, it was like, well, we have this one take from this one angle that makes it so that these two shots can fit together. And so that's where it goes. We had other times where there's a lot more flexibility in the editing but well, we had too much yeah well, we had too much flexibility too but long. other times it was pretty thin and so but i'm glad and we were really relieved when we got into editing that parts of it uh, flowed as well yeah. as it did because when you're on production and your head is about to explode and you have 20 extras and a four-man crew trying to work all that stuff out it just you kind of wonder you start questioning your life choices
1: <laughs> Now, now, Bradley, I'll throw this question to you. You, you actually had one of the uh, the funnier moments in the in the movie that that kind of caught my attention. <laughs> you, you had a couple of good exchanges there. I, I, uh, what, what can you tell us about uh, about what that experience was like?
3: Well, um, we when we were writing, we we uh, you know because people. It's at one point we were like, this is just a movie about people yelling at each other. <laughs> so. Uh, we wanted to, uh, for, I don't know, for pacing or for rhythm, we wanted to kind of balance it out, like if everything is tense, and then we wanted uh, a, a scene in there that would, um, you know, kind of relieve oh, the tension, yeah. a little comic relief. Uh, so we thought of a, uh, what do we call him? Uh, un- socially socially unaware,
2: unaware guy. Which basically is Brad's just being himself. <laughs> we,
3: <laughs> the, actually, we know someone who is completely socially unaware and we've always wanted to figure out how to put that person in a movie so I sort of took on that person that we know and played him in the movie um, so we just used it um, to break up the tension and to kind of go as a transition from one tense scene to another tense scene uh, you know we we didn't want to keep it I, if i feel like if you get to keep it too tense for too long then the it loses its intensity. So we wanted to kind of go back and forth a little bit.
1: Well, yeah, and, and I, I can appreciate that too because at some point you've got to ask yourself: Is this really all that I'm going to be watching, or you know, is there going to be you know kind of a break in the action that, that's uh, you know? I, I think that on some level everybody can relate to to that kind of character that. that you know, at a at a dinner party of some kind, that there's always going to be somebody in the room that that offers a non sequitur <laughs> like that, right?
2: Yeah, so, that you're going to be trying to get away from, really. Yeah. yeah.
3: What yeah, is he doing? Exactly. Here. And, yeah. Brad, and
1: Brad, and, you know what is the hell, you, know, you, know, you, know, what, you know, what planet do you want? You know, <laughs> and,
0: <laughs>
2: who are you going at? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that because we we really and but we even though we were convinced that we wanted to put some humor, in, mix some of the humor in with that. Particularly, the scene we're talking about is the big dramatic uh, conflict climax of our of our story at and, the party. Um, and uh, we really at at the time we were kind of worried. I was at least worried that the joke was going to be so contrasting from the actual tension that it wasn't going to fit. But we've gotten everyone who's seen it has commented that Brad's moment is is perfectly placed, and we're we're glad we're glad to that because I think it's funny. I think Brad's funny. So yeah,
3: I was hoping that I wasn't stealing the scene; that I was just in there long enough to, you know, get a little chuckle. Get a get a relief from the tension and then go back to the yelling again.
1: Well, I mean, it, it fits with the whole notion of the uh, you know the title itself, right? I mean, you, you know, it's another element of, of totally awkward, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. so yes. I mean, even though it was a bit of a counterweight to to some of the other stuff that you're watching, it I mean, I thought it was perfectly placed. To be honest with you, Good,
2: thank you. The behind the scenes on that is it was uh, I don't know <laughs> four five in the morning, and we'd already we'd
1: already been, been at it for like fourteen I, I, yeah, I, they. Go ahead. I, I can just imagine multiple takes being done on that. Yeah.
3: You can't imagine. It was. Uh, it took everything that the crew had to mm-hmm. not laugh hysterically yeah. during the scenes and in between. In between takes, everyone just yeah. bursted out laughing. Yeah, but I think it was mostly because we had been working for like twelve hours 14 straight, hours, yeah. fourteen hours, and we were just so tired, and that was just kind of exactly the relief we needed slap
2: happy yeah yeah you get,
1: yeah, you get punchy right uh, so yeah.
2: yeah the longest day of my directing life ever was that day we started at two uh, o'clock in the afternoon and we didn't finish until 6 a.m the next morning christ or i was exhausted yeah
1: so I uh, you know, I want to talk about film reverie for a couple of minutes here but uh, I've been lucky enough to be one of the few people that's actually seen the film at this point but but uh what are the plans to actually get it out there and you know when and where are people going to be able to see it kind of thing
2: uh we're not exactly sure we do okay. know we're right. we we still have a few things we want to do to the film and uh, to just to get it just right and uh, we're just gonna start submitting to festivals like film festivals and see what the response is but ultimately um streaming somewhere streaming somewhere so that you could go watch it like an amazon or netflix or something that would be the the ultimate um place uh but beyond that we haven't really thought about it because we don't know how people are going to react to the movie yet we don't know the response we're going to get
1: uh, okay uh, just bear with me just for one quick second i've got my next guest that's about to chime in here so uh in terms of film reverie right uh yeah i mean you know you guys explain this as a concept I mean uh, you know this you know if you would have me on there this is the kind of thing i'd love to be part of but uh you know tell me about what you guys are doing with uh with this as a podcast
2: okay so film reverie is the the podcast've i've been a podcaster off and on since since, since podcasting became a thing back in, I guess it was 2005, uh, I've done uh, co- different kinds of podcasts, and uh, the one that I always wanted to do was just sort of a conversation show. I I am a I like having conversations with people. I will sit and talk to anybody about anything, um, whether it's a like you know whether I know anything about it or not. I'll just ask questions. I so when we sat down to figure out what the show was going to be, I just said to Brad that it should feel like a, a, like having a cup of coffee with your filmmaker friends. And uh, I've said that over and over and over again. And so that's what we strive to make it, which is just free form. The conversation can go wherever, except since it's filmmakers or creative people, it, it leans, it slants itself towards like the creative process or the, you know, what it's like to be an artist. Like, honestly, the rejection that comes from being an artist, the, the, the amount of work that you have to put into the, to, to start and finish a project, and um, the different, like, woes that come up just from, like, inflicting this suffering upon yourself of being an independent filmmaker. Um, there's a lot of bullshit that you have to deal with every day, um, and then you have to put it aside and then just, keep working the next yeah. day. So we talk to people about that stuff and we try to keep it fun and light. And, a and lot simple.
3: of times we do end up, uh, the show has kind of come become a combination of us networking and also uh, learning things and finding out. Uh, we, we, we end up asking questions because we're still struggling filmmakers. So we'll ask a lot of questions so like, well, how do you do this? Or how do you do it? So you streamed the netflix successfully what is that process like what do you have to do what's the did you have to encode it a certain way you know so we learn a lot and we network and in fact uh it was through film reverie that we made uh some of the contacts that we made like marco de with truthful acting mm. we were able to create a friendship with him through our show film reverie which then uh enabled him to work with us on the movie so yeah it was very helpful
1: that way. Well, it sounds like you're both having a lot of fun with that too. Yeah, it's
2: been the show's been on hiatus for almost a year now. While we've been trying to finish the movie, we never anticipated it to take us that long actually to get going. However, we were kind of stupid to think it was gonna we were gonna get it done any quicker. But um, I have a full time job, and I'm a filmmaker, and I have a podcast, and a daughter, and Well, Brad's just Brad, so, but (laughs) but the problem is that we, you know, something had to get put on pause, and it couldn't be my kid, Uh, so we had to put the show kind of on pause, but since we're getting ready to wrap up, we're going to, we're bringing the show back, because we actually miss it. We've had a couple of conversations recently where um, we were sitting in the car, and we both sort of, in that moment, said this should be, this should be an episode of Film Reverie, you know. So, we, our head, we're sort of coming up for, for air. We're able to come up for air now.
1: Well, you know, like I said, if you guys are looking for guests, I'll happily volunteer to do it, too. Totally. So
2: I, I cannot believe that I didn't ever think to ask you on our show before. It seems like just one of those things that didn't, for some reason, didn't come up. You definitely have to. You've been so supportive, not just of me, but of ev- like creative people in general. You're like uh, you are like an unsung hero, I think. And I I don't know if I've told you this before, but every time I talk to you or see something you post, it's sort of I feel like the amount of you, the amount of time you've put into people's uh, put a, put of a, of your life into other people's project and success is is heroic because independent artists, writers, all those people, they don't always have somebody um, singing their praises like they got to do it all themselves and the thing is we're not all that good at it for ourselves. i can help somebody else and it seems easy but for like figuring out how to like get my stuff out there um for people to hear or look at or whatever it, it always feels weird and you'd sort of have that like imposter syndrome sneak up on you where you start to feel like people are gonna know i don't know what i'm talking about or don't know <laughs> what I'm, or no they're gonna know that i'm faking it and you know a lot of creative people really do feel that way that they're people yeah. realize that they're just kind of like pretending. Okay. Um, I'm uh, faking it till I make it.
1: Well, guys, I, this has been a lot of fun. Unfortunately, we have to tie this up, but, but uh, first of all, thank you very much for the, the generous feedback. And I'll tell you the, uh, the same thing I tell everybody when they say something like that. If I, you know, if I wasn't having so much damn fun while I was doing it, I wouldn't put the hours in. That's, I just enjoy it. So
2: good. Well, uh, good. i are we're, we're lucky to have you out there doing that.
1: Uh, you know, and I mean, I, I'm a professional sales rep, uh, you know, by profession. So, I mean, if I can use any kind of marketing skills, I'm not in the movie business. So, I mean, if I can do something to help you guys, then, then you know, I mean, awesome. w- you know, more power that's to cool. both of us, right? So
2: that's great. Well, thank you for having us on the show again. I I appreciate it. It was always fun. Was okay, always so
1: fun. one last plug for your uh, your social media feeds and your websites. Oh.
2: Okay, so I'm the only one you need to know about. Don't don't talk. Don't worry about following Brad or any of that who's got no, the coolest I'm, twitter I'm handle back...
1: ever man whatever yeah uh, balding ewok <laughs> no, the, uh,
2: the best place to get I... me is twitter is at Beckemeyer. b-e-k-e-m-e-y-e-r and i'm also on instagram under the same name and brad is balding ewok balding ewok because he's short and hairy cool
1: i'm
3: losing my i'm i'm going bald and i'm short and hairy
2: so I'm a
1: balding ewok. coolest twitter handle ever all right. we
2: named him on our show we decided awesome. to give him a, twitter, a new twitter handle on the show um, yeah so that's how you can get a hold of us and of course the movie is totally awkward and it forwards to our facebook page right now we're working on a website
1: okay so guys thanks a lot and uh, we'll definitely be in touch and, and uh, if you need my help then you know where you can get a hold of me yeah huh?
2: Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
1: All right. So that was uh, so that was Bradley Kingston and Michael Beckermeyer talking about their uh, feature-length film that I got a chance to see. Uh, really pathetic and totally awkward. Now what I'm going to try to do, if the Skype gods will be cooperative with me, is I'm going to try to get a hold of Catherine Cronin.
3: Don't forget FilmRevery.com. filmrevery.com.
1: And FilmRevery.com. Yeah. Uh, okay, Catherine, where can I? Be? Okay, Uh, why is Skype? Uh. Okay, so we're just going to see if we can get a hold of Catherine here. Okay. Uh. For some reason, Skype's not letting me call her. This is great.
2: Okay we'll stay on so if you okay, need to yeah. keep talking to somebody you can all talk right. to us more.
1: so just bear with me just for one quick second
0: all
1: right so who was the last guest that you had on
2: we had uh, who was the last guest the last guest we had on was the orlando film festival back in october um i think I think we so. released we released three or four episodes like in in a week or two because we had them sitting in the in the queue, queue and needed to get they were all time sensitive so we had to get them all out. Um, uh, we've had Rob on a few times, of course, because Rob's you know he's one of my best friends at this point, and we work together so much, so he's just a good one to have around. And we've had there's you know fifty five or fifty four episodes, so we've had so many people on. That I'll go flipping through our shows sometimes and realize, oh, we had him on too. Like, wow, I, I forget all the conversations we've had with people.
1: Well, you know, I, and like I said, this sounds like a lot of fun. So uh, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to some of your past episodes. So, cool. So uh, yeah,
2: we will. We when we start booking episodes, I'll 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 get, uh I'll get back in touch with you.
1: Okay, guys, I think I've identified the problem. Uh, I'm using an online version of Skype here, so I I don't think I'm allowed to have two calls going concurrently. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say goodbye to you guys, and uh, we'll we'll be in touch in the next little while, all right?
2: See you. Thank you. All right,
1: take care. Bye. Bye. Uh, Okay. All right. Let's just see if we can get Catherine on the line. All right, so we were talking with Michael Beckemeyer and I'm just trying to get uh, Catherine Cronin on the line for some reason or another. Skype is uh, not behaving with me here. So uh, Catherine, if you can bear with me uh, just for one quick second, I'll see if I can work something else out. And in the meantime, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a break and uh, yeah, for some reason. Yeah, it's, here we go. Okay, Catherine, are you there? We are here. Hey, how you doing? Okay, you so we got Christopher, too? That's right. Okay, yep. Great. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take, uh, if you guys could just mute up quickly, uh, I'm just going to take my mid-show break, and we're going to be back in about five minutes, and uh, we'll we'll start the second half of the show with you guys, all right? Cool.
4: Do you want me to call you back in a couple uh, minutes? No, no, just
1: hit mute on the bottom of your thing there. Just stay on the line, and then I'll cool. uh, I'll, I'll come back, all right? Perfect. Hey, you have the mute button there? Yep. Okay. Great. So we'll be right back. Uh, I'm going to take a quick uh, mid show pause as we do to get in a plug for uh, the Live from the Morgue show, uh, Jason Hadley and the Hollywood Rock and Wrap Up and uh, musical interlude. I'm going to play uh, a little bit of Mumford and Sons and we'll be right back. <laughs>
4: On the mixes. Talk Three, two, one, one. It's the Hollywood and Wrap-Up
0: with your host, Jason Hadley. R. Kelly's Atlanta home received a visit from police, joined by the family
1: of a girl they believe the R&B singer has brainwashed into being part of his alleged sex slave cult. Disney can technically sue R. Kelly for stealing their idea. Rapper DMX opted out of house arrest to enter a drug rehab program, but fans shouldn't be worried, claiming his writing is still in beast mode. Based on his substance abuse issues, I assume that beast is a blowfish. Or a hippopotamus. Eh, you see where I'm going with this. The TV1 cable network released a trailer of their upcoming biopic about the life and death of Bobby Christina Brown found face down in a tub before living out her remaining days on life support, savvy marketing move TV won. What with so many people already concerned about a Houston underwater.
0: And that's
4: the Hollywood Rockin' Wrap Up. Follow us on Twitter at Rockin' Wrap Up.
0: time.
1: Sons, Hopeless Wanderer, one of my favorite music videos of all time, I think. You got uh, Jason Bateman and Jake, Jason Sudeikis and Will Forte and Ed Helms and they're kind of mugging on uh, Mumford and Sons. The video still puts a smile on my face every time I see it. Uh, So in the second half of the show, uh, I want to give a quick shout out to Leah Savoli, who is a frequent contributor to this show, uh, who in terms uh, of sending me all kinds of guests that uh, she works with uh, on the crowdfunding trail, uh, most uh, significantly Seed and Spark, because she's got a uh, a deeper attachment to that website. But uh, in the second half of the show, I've got uh, a father and daughter team here for you. Uh, Catherine Cronin and Christopher Cronin are here. Uh, Catherine, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, great, great. So uh, I'm excited to do this show, uh, not only because of the subject matter, but because they share a family name with a good Montreal story and a good dynasty in terms (laughs) of... Well, I had to. Hume Cronin is a McGill alumnus, right? So I I went to school there. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did, yeah. So uh, so Catherine Cronin, just to give some information on her, has uh, graduated from the Film Theater and TV Academy at UCLA. Uh, is an actor and writer and producer who's appeared uh, on multiple things including TNT's The Last Ship and is also a published novelist, which is not an easy thing to do at all. So uh, I have high respect for anybody that goes that route. Uh, and she's signed today by your dear father, uh, Christopher Cronin, who is a longtime unit production manager and line producer, who's worked on a few films that I think a few of you might have seen. God help me. Uh, Fatal Attraction, Raging Bull, The Cotton Club, Sophie's Choice, and a Hidden Gem, Favorite of Mine, um, among others, Thunderheart, which I just watched the other day. I uh, really like that one. And together they're uh, working on a, a short film uh, that's currently on the Seed and Spark campaign uh, called uh, called Rainmaker, which we're going to be talking about for the next few minutes. Uh, so without further ado, the Cutting Cuttingham floor we proudly welcomes for the first time Catherine and Christopher Cron. How you doing?
4: Doing pretty well. Thank you for having us.
5: Thank you very much.
1: So the the first question I always have for everybody when they're on here for the first time is uh, just sort of an icebreaker. Did I get your respective bios right, or was that close enough? As I like to say,
4: I haven't quite wrote written a novel yet. Working on it. I um, adapted a well-known novel into a screenplay.
1: Okay, that was okay. Uh, nice to uh, corrected on that. Yeah. I, uh... You know
4: what? I'll take that though. Um, and, you know, get back to you about what the novel is about.
1: <laughs> okay, and Christopher, how about yourself?
5: Well, I'm just glad to be here. Um, uh, I've been fortunate to have a long and fairly interesting career, and I was delighted when Catherine came to me and said, I've got this short thing, and I need to get it made, and will you help me? And, of course, I was doubly pleased because she was addressing an issue that is uh of great importance and i think widely misunderstood
1: okay well let, let's talk about that uh, you know i uh, i mean rainmaker is uh you know a short film and um you know Catherine. i guess my first question to you is uh, to anybody that's actually making a short especially one that that deals with some some heavy subject matter admittedly like what you're addressing well, why did you opt for the short format as opposed to a feature film
4: Um, originally I would wanted to do a feature film, but it seemed like an uphill battle in the sense that, you know, the amount of funding that I would need, the support group that I would need to make that happen. So the short film is actually just a snippet of a longer story um, that I would love to be able to make into a feature film sometime down the line.
1: And and uh, I'm you know in your in your own terms uh, you know what exactly is the film about? I mean I, I watched your your pitch video and and read through your Seed and Spark page there. But but what are you looking to uh, to accomplish with this? Well, what's it about?
4: Um, well, obviously, I mean I would love to, you know, dispel some of the stigma surrounding this disorder. You know, I think most people tend to think that um, eating disorders are you know, superficial things. They're vain. It's about people trying to lose weight, um, anorexia in um, specifically. And that's just not true, at least in my experience with it, couldn't be more different than that. So I'm hoping to um, bring some awareness to that. But coming down to the story specifically, this short film um, is about one woman struggling with an eating disorder. And she has to kind of figure out how to, how, you know, reconcile her relationships that being the relationship with food the relationship with self the relationship with her child and the relationship with her mother and ultimately those relationships cannot coexist um because the relationship to food is so uh, pardon the expression consuming um that she can't really maintain the other relationships and she has to make a choice
1: and how did you come up with this as an idea? I, I, I what you mentioned, you touched on it. There was this based on somewhat on personal experience, or, or you know,
4: yeah, it is. Um, it's loosely based on personal experience, uh, my, my own personal experience, and the experience of other women in my family. Um, of course, I've, you know, used some elements, um, such as the wolf, um, as symbology to represent larger ideas. But the story is, yes based on my own experience.
1: And you also, uh, from what I understand, you bring in the parallel, uh, you know, in terms of a metaphor of a drought too, right? Yes.
4: Yes. That was a big one for me. I mean, um, water is extremely important to me. I'm a water baby through and through. So, um, there's really no better way for me to express, you know, a drought of the soul than to have literal drought in the film. Um, so we actually shot the film in Montana um, this summer, and of course, the state is completely on fire. It's kind of, you know, it's actually pretty bad. It's worse than it's been in there in, what, the past 10 years, maybe? So um, literally, in our exterior shots, you see the smoke in the sky. It's pretty incredible that that happened. Um but yes, drought is a big
1: metaphor as well. Well, And in a way, like uh, when I saw that, I, I thought, you know, I mean the drought of the soul and the, you know, the drought of the body too, because I mean, it's, yes. a, it's a deprivation, right? And, and uh, in, in a way I, I saw this, you know, when I was, you know, getting myself ready for the show and I thought, why hasn't anybody thought of doing this before? I, <laughs> you know, it, it just seems so obvious when you look at it, but I, I, you know, as a, as a parallel, I thought, you know, good for you for, for honing
4: in on that. Thank you. I, I hope that it works. <laughs> when we're done with it, I hope that it shows up the way that I intended it. Because I do think that, you know, drought is someone that everyone can at least kind of key into as um, an experience. You know, everyone's experience being really thirsty. Everyone's experience being 105 degree temperatures. Like, what's that like when it, you're, it feels like your body is literally being sucked dry of everything it needs? Um, you know, that's a A feeling I hope people
1: can relate to. So both of you touched on this on this point and I'll I'll throw the question open to both of you to answer it one at a time you know from from your own vantage points but uh, you've both touched on the the notion of wanting to dispel that that there was a a certain level of or gross level for that matter misunderstanding when it comes to eating disorders. Um, Where do you think the misunderstanding lies from from your respective points of view and I guess Christopher I'll start with you for this.
5: Well, you know, when uh, I first discovered that Catherine was dealing with some level of eating disorder, um, you know, it surprised me. And the only thing I really knew about it was what I had read in the popular press. Um, And there was a lot of things going around about Uh, As Catherine's already mentioned, you know, well, it's just a disorder of people who are in vain. They're trying to lose weight. They're trying to to achieve some kind of perfectness in their physicality, which is demanded by our culture. And that turned out to be just not true. Um, I'm not saying there aren't people like that, but when this condition uh, sort of gets its hooks in you, uh, there is no longer any choice. it's not about what you might wish to look like or feel like or um, it's something much much more serious. and I think when it was addressed uh, it was addressed by people who hadn't suffered from it and there was a lot of assumptions um, and I had to. Get rid of those assumptions fairly quickly, as I realized that Catherine was not in control of this disorder. It wasn't a; she didn't really have a choice to eat. You couldn't talk her out of the situation, um, and she had to go through it. And we had to help her. I mean, it was um, it was a all hands on deck and full time thing to try and bring her back. And we did. And she did. She came back. I mean, it isn't just us, her mother, and myself, her friends, you know, medical things. She she herself had a sort of what I would call a moment, a a moment wherein she realized something new and was able to build on that realization to come back. Uh so that was a journey for us as well, and you can feel, as a parent, you feel very helpless uh, when you watch this and you realize that the information that's out there is not really adequate.
1: And uh, uh, Catherine, how about your take on on the uh, on on the same question?
4: Um, I think it's pretty similar. You know, I I think that it's very. Um, misrepresented in popular culture you know people in this industry in the film industry for one um you know trying to maintain some you know i don't even know what it is this you know sense of beauty that we're supposed to have um which is just false um i mean and again in my experience it had absolutely nothing to do with that i mean i honestly i couldn't tell if i weighed 105 pounds or 125 pounds. To me, it felt exactly the same. So it had literally nothing to do with weight or trying to be beautiful. Um, It's not about that at all. It's not about that at all. So, I, you know, and I think that because of that stigma, the people that are suffering with eating disorders don't feel like they can really talk about it or can ask for help or you know tell their friends and family what the issue is because they don't want to be told, oh, you know, stop it. That's ridiculous. You're skinny you know, what are you trying to prove here? It's that, that's not the kind of response someone wants to hear. Um, and I think that there's a fear that they're going to be pretty quickly shut down as, oh, that's a bogus disease.
1: Now, now <laughs> you also touched on something that, that I thought was re- relatively poignant, and I'll volunteer a little bit of information that i traditionally wouldn't but but uh that this is really primarily a a a production that's led by women although you do have a lot of great advice coming from your father and, and you know his support and that kind of thing but uh you've also touched on the fact that this really isn't strictly uh i guess one of the stigmas associated with it is that eating disorders are something that more you know target women but there there are other demographics that that are affected by this i mean i'll admit that when i was in college i had a problem too so uh
4: Yeah, it's, you know, there's no bounds to it. I myself have a few um, male friends who have suffered with it, and I think that their their journey with it is potentially even harder because, again, there's a stigma that, like, it's your what? You what? You know, that's people's response to it. And it's just so... um, It's because people don't know what it's about. People don't understand, you know, where these eating disorders come from and why people suffer from them. You know, it's so – it's just not talked about. There's not a lot of research into it. Um, And I wanted to change that, you know, even – the small group of people that may or may not see this film hopefully that makes a difference
1: well no and and you also touched on something too that that, you know you for you it felt the same whether you know you were 105 pounds or 125 pounds i mean like i didn't see at the time anything wrong with the fact that that i was 115 pounds and six foot three you know walking across the stage at my graduation but i look back at those pictures now and i really feel uncomfortable with it right but, yeah, uh, but
4: but, but you, in the moment it doesn't you you can't tell you, you know it it's like tell. you're just you yeah. and this is your body and you know you're you feel fine you know it's different yeah. it's um yeah. Yeah, that's it's the, interesting the, the, it plays the, with your mind it plays with your perception
1: the, yeah and there's a certain sense of time and distance that, that allows you to look at things objectively and it sounds like you've you've managed to create a healthy space to to, to foster a project like this
5: right I,
4: I think so I mean it's one of those things that you know once you're an alcoholic even if you get sober you're always an alcoholic you know what i mean so i i'm always aware of food but i i know myself i've gone through the treatment programs i know my triggers i know what the healthy um <laughs> what the healthy vein is for me and i can check myself and i have to do that sometimes and there's you know periods of months or even years right i don't think about it at all but you know it's not it's not something that just completely goes away, at least not in my experience. Um, but I have definitely come to terms with it. I have come to an understanding of how to keep myself, um, on the right side of the fence. So
1: so where does the film sit right now? I mean, are, are, you know, have you managed to finish principal shooting or I, I guess, where are you at with it in terms of, uh, you know, the production stage?
4: We have finished, um, all of our shooting, which was done, like I said, in Montana. Um, So we are in post-production now. We have nine hours (laughs) worth of absolutely beautiful footage um, that we have to, you know, put together and sound design and color correct and online edit and everything else, which is going to be quite a process because we do have a lot of footage and it's beautiful stuff. And uh, it's, there's a lot of layers to the story, you know? Um, Like I said, there's four key relationships that we have to flesh out in 15 minutes, which is going to be a task. But, um, that's where we're at with it now.
1: And what are you looking to uh, raise the money for with, in terms of the Seed&Spark campaign? Uh, how's that going for you?
4: Um, we just hit 23% funded, which we feel pretty good about, good considering field. this is a long weekend and everyone's out enjoying themselves. Um, but we're raising the money for a couple of things. First of all, to do all of post-production. Um, we do have, you know, we, again, the editor, the, the sound designer, the color corrector, the online editor... Um, we have special effects that need to be done. Um, also, a, a number of our beautiful cast and crew who are so talented, you know, did this without getting paid um, because they believe in the subject matter they believe the story needs to be told. And, of course, that just feels awful to me <laughs> that people haven't been paid. So um, to pay some people who deserve to be paid more than we will be able to Um, But also to do a festival run and to really promote this thing with, um, so publicity and marketing. Because as I said, the whole point of this is, you know, to kind of lift the veil on this disorder a little bit. And we can't do that if we can't get eyes on it. Um, So literally as many festivals as we can possibly get into, publicity, marketing, um, you know, all of that jazz. (laughs) All of that jazz to try to, you know, get people to see it. No, get people to change their view about this, and ultimately, I would love to be able to make this into a, into a feature.
1: And I, I should add that uh, this is one of the uh, the better campaigns that I've seen in the last little while, in terms of the fact that you've really got this broken down in terms of a compelling business case, and you know what you need the funds for, and what slice of the pie goes for, if you will pardon another pun, but uh, you know it goes to each of the various sections, and uh, very well thought out. I uh, I should say. So. Well, thank you.
4: We spent some time on it. That's true. Leah, Leah Ciboli, um, she whipped me into shape. Yeah, I was gonna. That
1: that was a, a, another thing I was gonna ask you. How'd you come to know Leah? Leah's a, a huge supporter of this show, and I—you'll never hear, hear me say enough nice things about her. I, you know, I—I I, it's always a point of pride when I—I uh, I find out I'm gonna be working with one of her clients. So.
4: Yeah, she's she's impressive. You know, um, I was introduced to her when we first contacted Seed&Spark to run this campaign, um, you know, I said, I'm, I'm not very good at social media, and I'm not, you know, I don't post more than once every six months, and I said, I'm, I need help on this, I don't really know what I'm doing, and this is, you know, a decent chunk of money here, and they um, recommended Leah, and th- that was the only person they recommended, and they said, you know, for this project, this is who you have to go to, and I said, okay, so, um, I called her and we met and I think we hit it off pretty quickly and um, now we're working together and it's been it's been really
1: great well you you lucked out there because yeah. i i've been at the show for for a long time about eight years and i can tell you that that uh, she's a gold standard in terms of uh... you know crowdfunding campaign management so you couldn't have been put in better hands than, than with leah's so I, I wish you nothing but the best but uh, certainly you're in good hands and uh, it sounds like you've got a great team assembled her on the subject of which i mean i want to make sure that we get in a uh... A, a plug for your cast as well uh... you know who have you yeah. got that, that's actually going to be you know playing the main parts in this
4: um well me myself and I <laughs> okay. am right. playing the lead in it um ultimately I, I write and I produce but ultimately my goal is to be um an actress so I am playing the, the lead character the character's name Kay um and she is kind of an amalgamation of like I said my own experience as well as a few of the other women in my family um, I have a lovely, lovely actress named Kira Bennett, who, she's seven years old, and she plays Honor, who in the story is my daughter, and she was fabulous. She actually traveled from Seattle to audition and then um, to play the part in Montana. And another fantastic actor named Craig Ng, who plays the character Skinny Man, um, and that character is supposed to be a literal embodiment of the disorder um and i put him in character form so that she had something really to play off of um and he was stunning and the poor man was in six hours of prosthetic makeup every morning uh to get ready for it (laughs) and he did it beautifully um and yeah i i can't say enough good things about the two of them it was pretty impressive and
1: well, that's a dedication to art, is being able to, to, to be, you know, six hours a day for for makeup. I mean, that, that's, that takes a lot of patience, right? Yeah, so, and
4: then another two hours afterward to get out of it, you oh,
1: know? Yeah, so you, you don't think of that either, but... Uh, Uh, What can I tell you? It's been a a pleasure talking with you both. Uh, um, One last plug here. Where can people go to uh, contribute to the campaign to, uh, you know, to get in touch with you or to learn more about Rainmaker?
4: Yes. Um, So the campaign is live now and it's at www.rainmakerthefilm.com. And if you go to that website, you can see our, our pitch video. You can see a breakdown of, um, our costs and where the money will be going you can see photos we've got actually a we just put up a um a little video about the making of skinny man and you can kind of see time lapse videos of him getting into prosthetic makeup and the moldings and all that kind of cool stuff <laughs> um you can also follow us at twitter at rainmaker film um and you'll be getting the updates there as well so
1: Okay. And I'll be tweeting out the link as well over the course of the next couple of days. So, uh, you know, you can follow me on Twitter and look for the link there as well uh, at cutting room MRB. So, uh, Kristen, what can I tell you? It's been a pleasure having you on any closing thoughts uh, before we, we tie this up or.
4: I don't think so. I mean, it's, it's been a, a good 30 minutes. Thank you for having us. And I think that, um, well, I hope this we take this somewhere. That's all I can say. Okay,
1: Great. So if you could just hang on, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tie this up, and I'll have a quick little uh, post-chat with you. And uh, uh, I'm going to thank my guests today, uh, Catherine Cronin and Christopher Cronin, uh, as well as uh, Michael Beckemeyer and Bradley Kingston, with a quick shout-out to Leah Savoli, who has always been a huge help to this show. Uh, I'm going to be back next week with my guests Rob Gokey and Stuart Desjardins. So until then, be good to each other, and we'll talk to you next Sunday cut print wrap and i am done
2: that was another edition of the cutting room floor with your host casey ryan follow casey on twitter
0: at cutting room mrb and on facebook the cutting room floor